following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Alan here again for another message in our series on the Gospel of Mark. I've called this series The Remarkable Gospel because it evokes so much emotion, and we're going to see that again this week as we attempt to complete chapter 7. This message is for May the 17th, 2020, as we continue in uh, dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, and I hope you and yours are, are continuing to do well. In God, we could do more than cope. We could do more than endure. We could actually thrive. Uh, you may not feel like you're thriving, but I, I hope that what I've prepared for this week's message is going to encourage us all to discover some things in God, even in the midst of what might be a very difficult and discouraging time for you as you are seeking to cope uh, with the current situation. And uh, so, why don't I go ahead and pray, and uh, then I'm going to read this week's passage. Our Father, we thank you that uh, you are with us, even in the most difficult times. And, of course, I don't know what everyone is going through, the people that are watching or listening to this message at this time, but I do pray that your word might fill our hearts with wonder Fill our hearts with encouragement. Bring us to a place where we are able to freely cry out to you and discover all that you have for us in these days, no matter how difficult they might be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let let me get into the passage right away by reading it. Uh, We looked at the first part of, first half of chapter 7 of Mark last week, and now we're going to continue with Mark chapter 7, verse 24, reading to the end of the chapter. And from there he, that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished 
beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So, this uh, this section here, these two stories, which in, I believe are somewhat connected, are in contrast to what we saw in the previous message. The previous message turned out to be pretty heavy uh, it, as I was trying to show how the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, uh, were so they they were so keen in their understanding of how to please God that they actually cut themselves off and were cutting other people off from the intent the intent of God's word. We tend to view the, the Pharisees as keeners for the scriptures, but we saw last last time that that's not really the case. In their zeal to please God, in their zeal to do what they believed was right, they went further than what the scriptures actually said and established traditions that undermined God's word and the intention of God's word. So, they weren't really keeners for the scriptures. They became keeners for their version of spirituality through not only establishing traditions, not only in being zealous for their traditions, but judging other people through the lens of not not their interpretation of scripture, not for the scriptures, but for for what they added to the scriptures. And by doing that, as I tried to explain last time, they obscured, undermined, and were disobeying what the Bible, in their day, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, actually uh, was teaching. And that's very, very serious. When we begin to obscure God's Word because of our passion for the way we think sh- things should be done. And so anyway, that as I said, I, th- I think that got pretty heavy, but it's, it's so important because we need to get out of the boxes that we've created for ourselves and our communities if we're actually going to encounter and engage God in the way that He wants us to engage Him. As He's revealed Himself in Jesus, there's so much for us and for others, even in this COVID-19 time, if we would allow God to get us out of the the boxes of our own creation that are keeping ourselves and others from engaging him in the way that he wants us to. One of the things that we see all the way through the Gospel of Mark is something that I call, and I, I didn't make it up, I, I got it from um, my reading, my readings of, 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 of commentaries on this, but I believe they're right. It's, it's, all, it's strewn all the way through the Gospel. It, it's this insider-outsider motif a motif is a literary term referring to uh, features of of a story uh, that uh, relate to to the uh, to themes throughout the story. So a motif isn't a theme; it's a it's a feature. And so a feature of the Gospel of Mark is this insider outsider thing that that keeps coming up. And the way it works is that the people that you expect to be the insiders are behaving like outsiders, 
And the people who are the outsiders are, are experiencing the story as insiders. So it's outcasts are the ones, uh, the outcasts, foreigners, um, the irreligious, the commoners, they're experiencing God, while uh, the uh, religiously zealous people, like the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're kind of left out in the dark. And some of the real surprising insiders behaving like outsiders are the disciples. So the disciples are in the inner circle, they're close to Jesus, they're getting the explanations, and he keeps on saying to them, how come you're not getting it? So we see how, we're going to see again, how people are so amazed by Jesus. Even Jesus is amazed, and people are all amazed. That's why I call this the remarkable gospel. They're amazed, but there's different ways that people are amazed. And in the story of, the, of Jesus walking on the water, and I'm not completely pleased with how I explained that. Uh, we might come back to, we're going to come back to some of that when we look at the feeding of the 4,000 that comes up next time. Uh, that they're so blown away by seeing Jesus walking on the water, but the way they are amazed is not the way they should be amazed because Jesus confronts them that they didn't understand the feeding of the multitude in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. They should have known better. That's why they were blown away by it. And yet there is a blown awayness that comes up in this passage that is, is stated very positively and that we need uh, to be amazed. There's a certain kind of amazement that we should have. There's a certain kind of wonder that God's people should have when encountering him and engaging him, a wonder that we should have. And there's another kind of amazement that we shouldn't have. And so we're looking at the should-have kind of wonder this time, which is why I've entitled this Wonderful Savior. It's not just, oh, isn't he wonderful? It's that we should be full of wonder as we engage him. And we'll get into that more as we go along here. All right, let's go back to the beginning of this passage, verse 24. And from there he, that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This, this coastal area north of the Sea of Galilee, remember the Sea of Galilee is actually a, it's a freshwater lake, uh, also called Kinneret, um, and uh, that's where he does a lot of his early ministry, but more than once he tries to get away from the crowds. And this might be one of those attempts, again, at getting away from the crowds by going into what was a pretty aggressively anti-Jewish region, a very strong commercial center, uh, the coastal town of Tyre. And uh, so they go there, and and yet still somebody finds out he's there, at least this one person, we don't hear if there are more, but this one woman in particular uh, learns that he's there and somehow... Um, approaches him looking for help for her daughter. The second half of verse 24 reads, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, and it could be, this is how, uh, this is the explanation of how he was not able to be hidden because of this particular woman. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, there's something similar in this story, to the story of the woman with the hemorrhage. Remember, this woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years, it made her unclean, and yet she heard about Jesus, 
And that was enough for her to risk um, um, the, a bad reaction with the crowds, even making uh, the people in the crowd ceremony unclean by touching them because she was ritually unclean. And But she was going to do what she could to break through the crowd to get to even touch uh, the hem of Jesus' garment. And it resulted in her being, uh, he- being healed and called out of the crowd. You, you can uh, look up that message um, on uh, the All Saints Lutheran Church website or by going to the YouTube channel. And so this is this similar story, and it is interesting how, uh, again, these are motifs, features of, of the story that come up more than once. And so, in the, but in this case, we have a, a non-Jewish woman, and her non-Jewishness is highly stressed uh, because in verse twenty-six she's called. Uh, it's actually in the in the Greek she's called a Greek, and it could be saying that she is culturally uh, and and somewhat ethnically Greek, uh, or it could be a. Uh, a way to simply say non-Jew. And that's why the English Standard Version that we're using here uses Gentile, and Gentile simply means a member of one of the non-Jewish nations. And it goes on to call her a Syrophoenician uh, by birth. She is really not Jewish. She is really not an insider. She is really an outsider. And she's got a problem because she has a daughter who is... Uh, who has an unclean spirit like this this woman and her family are outside the circle they are not really included ones and yet she breaks through uh, her outsiderness and goes right to the center core by approaching the Jewish messiah uh, continuing on in in verse 26 and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter it's strong language this woman is desperate and she's desperate enough as uh, a syrophoenician uh, a greek a gentile and a woman in that culture to go to this jewish healer man because she heard, somehow heard enough to prod her on to go to this man in spite of all the cultural, social, religious barriers that she was facing. She was going to get help for her daughter. But look how Jesus responds to her in a very difficult statement in verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you're supposed to respond with, what? What did he just say? Now, of course, if uh, you were a, a member of that society and you were part of the insider group, you kind of get it. Because what's she doing? Like, you don't belong here. Uh, you, you're, you know, yuck, actually. And if we're honest, uh, we would admit that there's people groups and members of society that we would relate to that way. If we're honest, we get it. On the other hand, um, as we understand God and his ways and Jesus, we this is very, very troubling. Jesus talking to this person this way? Like, look how he, he reacts to other outsiders, lepers, and other women, and, and yet to this woman he says this? Like, 
what? So I remember years ago, I, I heard one preacher trying to resolve the problem of how negative this was. And, and he had Jesus with a glint in his eye, kind of, uh, you know, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to, to the dogs. Wink, wink sort of thing. He throws this out to the woman, like, I'm saying this, but I don't really mean it. And I understand how this would make us feel better, but I don't think that's what's going on here. Now, was Jesus being mean? Well, mean is describing a motive to what he's saying. Now, in his motive, what is he doing? Well, we don't know. All we know is he makes this clear statement about the order of things. And he was reflecting how uh, the relationship of the people of Israel was to the other nations of the world. Now, did he deep down actually believe this? Well, I don't think so. I don't think he saw the Gentiles as dogs who were not worthy to receive the blessing of God. Obviously, he didn't really think that because of the nature of his mission. Remember, Abraham was called by God that blessing might come to the nations. The whole mission of Israel, which in some ways many of the Jewish people were not as connected with as they should have been, the mission of Israel was to be a blessing to the nations. Now, with regard to timing, well, we see other other non-Jews being blessed through the gospel stories, not just after Jesus died and rose. And yet, there's, there's, it's tough. And it, it, it's better for us to accept this verse as being really tough, especially as we see how the woman relates to it. So, we need to understand this is an insult to her. There is a bit of a, a time reference here when he says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, every time I look at this, there's no way around it. This, this is a difficult, difficult statement. Um, but notice they're talking about bread. It's, it's not right to take the children's bread. What Jesus was bringing to first the people of Israel, but also to the whole world, was bread. This, this, is, this is base su- sustenance. Uh, his healing wasn't added bonus. Like, oh, the, the, the Messiah has come, and look at the wonderful things that he's doing. No, 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 no. The wonderful things that he's doing is providing bread for the children. He had come to set the captives free. He had come to bring bread. And however we understand the, the, the difficulty of this, by, by referring to the Gentiles as dogs here, this was bread for everyone. And he had come to bring bread for everyone. Okay, verse 28. Let's see how she answered. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Like, this is a humility that she's willing to live out and demonstrate that, that is remarkable. And this humble acceptance of, of the way God's doing things. He chose the people of Israel for a particular purpose with 
a result that will come not only for the people of Israel, but for all the nations. And somehow she's able to accept God's way of doing things. She's not offended. She's not offended by the chosen nature of the Jewish people, but is willing to accept for the sake of her daughter. She may not have come to this place of humility if her daughter would not have been in such a horrible condition. But for the sake of her daughter, she's willing to accept that God, in a sense, gave preferential treatment to the people of Israel, knowing that that preferential treatment was for a purpose for everyone. You know, did God choose the Jewish people for themselves? No, he chose the Jewish people for the sake of all the nations. But he chose the Jewish people for the sake of all the all the other nations. If we're offended by the chosen nature of the Jewish people, we are not going to receive the blessing of God that he wants to bring through the Jewish people. Now, we're 2,000 years after this story, and the church is used to the church being for everybody. But the way the church is for everybody is that God chose uh, exclusively chose the Jewish people through which to bring the gospel to everybody. Tragically, the essential Jewish nature of the Messiah, the essential Jewish nature of the church, the essential Jewish nature of the Bible has been lost by many Christians. And no longer accepting this kind of humble relationship to um, how God set things up. And I believe Losing the essential Jewish nature of the gospel has robbed the people of the nations from receiving the fullness of the blessing of God that he wants to bring, that if only non-Jewish Christians would understand again how the blessing of God comes to the nations through the Jewish people, then non-Jewish Christians would be that much more enriched, like this woman was. I hope that explained that okay. Please feel free, as I always uh, always say, email me. Email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca with your questions and comments, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I would love to in- in- engage people on this if we do so with it with an open heart. All right. So this, this woman up... up Apart from all the things that are going on in her, she's actually very practical and realistic. She wants healing for her daughter, and she's not going to let anything get in the way of of finding healing for her daughter. Um, So she's able to accept, on one hand, that things are the way they are. There's a major obstacle between her and the healing Jesus is bringing to people, and it's her status in life. Instead of complaining about her status, instead of complaining about the situation that she's in, instead of going, unfair, unfair, and getting offended, like I mentioned earlier, she, on one hand, accepts the situation as is, and yet pushes through anyway. Yes, sure, that's the way, that's the way it is, but I'll, I'll, even, even the dogs take the crumbs. You're the only one who can help me. You're the only one who can help my daughter. Give me what I need. I'll take it. Whatever you offer to me from your storehouse of treasure, I'll take it. 
I don't care how it comes. You can call me whatever you want. And you could see how how we get how pe- you know people get offended by God. They're offended by the way things are. And one of the features motifs in all of Scripture, we see it especially in and no, not just in the in the in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, all the way through the Bible. God awards tenacity. You know, we tend to think that, you know, what we're supposed to do is just humbly receive whatever God throws our way, and that as if that's faith. Faith is this resolve to accept what is. We confuse the need to be content with the, the need to seek God with all our heart to receive those things that we really need. So, it's one, it's one thing to just kind of, see, complaining isn't, complaining to God. Complaining is the way we grumble to ourselves and to others. So, things are the way they are, and we just blah, 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 you know, things are the way it is, oh, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too this, it's too that, it's always been this way, and we, and we, we, we grumble among ourselves. But look at what happens when people in the Bible even say to God, no, Moses said no to God. Job complained to God's face. David, through the Psalms, complained to God. Habakkuk complained to God. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, if there's any way this can be taken from me. And, and, he, and he went to God three times. Paul had an issue called the thorn in its flesh. In, 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 uh, we read about this in 2 Corinthians. And he said, I beseech the Lord three times. And then God said to me, and once God spoke, to him, he accepted what God said. And, and that's a prescription to us. Beseech God. You don't like what's going on. You're having trouble with this COVID-19. You're in, an, uh, in, a, in a place right now where they're not letting you go outside and you don't like it. Instead of complaining to everybody, call out to God. Tell him, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is good, not only for me, but for others. And see how he's going to answer your prayer. We give up way too easy. And this woman is our example that we need to, to press through to God until he answers us, which is what, what he does through Jesus. Verse 29, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And it just happens. He doesn't go to the daughter. We don't see. We're going to see a a very intimate interaction between the man who needed healing and Jesus in a moment. But in this case, there's something about her acceptance of what Jesus was saying to her about the crumbs that was enough to release deliverance to her daughter. And what's that about? It seems there's something about she connected to God's reality. She turned from the supposed reality of her circumstances. Oh, you're never going to get healing or deliverance for your daughters. You're just going to have to accept the, uh, her horrible state the way it is. She turned from the supposed uh, uh, final nature of her situation, and she opened her heart to the to the infinite possibilities of God, accepted his word for what it was, engaged him in this tenacious way, and whom deliverance comes to her daughter. So somehow connecting with God's truth releases God's power. You can think about that for a while. Verse 30, and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. I love it. Like, it, we're... 
the the reader or the listener to the story gets to see and she went and she saw it exactly the way it was like there are, there are people that they think kind of faith is simply imagining that god's doing what he says that he does and never really quite see it actually happen in real life but we're reminded what jesus said occurred actually occurred so what's keeping us from getting our full of what god wants for us and and we get some of that in the next section. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Verse 31, Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis means the ten towns. It was this region of, of predominantly not another non-Jewish region uh, to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And the last time we were there in the story is when he cast out the legion of demons out of that man, and that's when the, the pigs, the demons go into the pigs, and they, they jump off this cliff into the, into the water and drown, and the people urged him to go away. Well, he's back. He's back again. We don't know if it's the exact same region or not, um, but he's back. Verse 32, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Some versions say mute. Uh, the word seems to suggest he, uh, that it's not that he couldn't talk at all, but that he had great difficulty in talking, uh, tongue-tied or something like that. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. It's quite something reading this in our COVID-19 world right now. Verse 34, And looking up to heaven, he sighed, said to him, using an Aramaic word, Mark is written in Greek, but he, he, he does this full quote of this one word in the original Aramaic, ephatha, that is, be opened, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, so why does he use this strange method with spitting? Did he, and we don't know, did he spit on his fingers, spit on the ground, spit right on his tongue? We don't know. That's not the point. We, we do see throughout the Gospels that for some reason, Jesus uses all sorts of different methods when he goes to heal someone. We just saw he just engaged the woman and the demon was gone. Other places he lays hands on. Uh, we there's you know makes mud, sticks it in the blind man's uh, eyes, and so on. And why the different methods? Well, the only thing I can deduce is that it's the Father's guidance, uh, the Jesus doing as the Father leads him to do. Um, it's wonderful how he quotes that original Aramaic and takes us into the Jewish soil of 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 the story. Um. And, but what we see here is, is there's, a, there's a very, very possible illusion uh, that uh, this is a story of the Jewish Messiah setting the nations free. Uh, and it echoes Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, that reads, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And that that chapter, verse 35, is speaking about the coming of the Messiah, restoring the creation, uh, breaking the curse, and bringing in what the Bible refers to as the age to come, the time of restoration. So the the Old Testament anticipates God restoring not only the people of Israel from their oppression uh, under foreign rulership, but also a complete restoration of the creation. When Jesus comes, he begins to do the works that were and the Jewish people anticipated the Messiah would do at the very end of time when he makes all things right. And so they get this taste of the age to come in their current day. 
And so we call this realized eschatology. Eschatology has to do with uh, the study of the end things or the end times. And Jesus brings what was anticipated for the end into the present. So we're realizing now those things that uh, were anticipated for the end. And it's it's fascinating and, and so wonderful and amazing that that what they were experiencing, and, and this is what Jesus was trying to impress upon his disciples, that that what we were anticipating at, during the time of the restoration of all things, we're experiencing now. And that's supposed to be true for now. So look at the crowd's reaction, verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, he's done all sorts of things already, and we don't know what these people were aware of. Uh, there's, but there was something about this particular uh, wonder that he did that really, really overwhelmed them. And and. This is being communicated to us in a very positive way. Uh, the, the Greek is so strong here. They were astonished beyond measure. Like, that's a lot of, ast- that's like an infinite astonishment. They were in complete awe. They were in wonderment over what Jesus was doing. Um, when the disciples, at the, the story of the walking on the water, that they're amazed in a way that they were not to be amazed, that they, that they should have understood what was going on. But here, this is a type of wonderment where we're supposed to be. And I want to ask the question, I wonder if we've lost our wonder. For some of us, and some of us who have been going to church and reading Bible and go, doing all the things, doing all the right things, maybe some of us have never known this kind of wonder. Some of us, the last time we were full of wonder was when we were little kids, because little children very naturally relate to the world we live in with wonderment. But sadly, many of us grow out of it. C.S. Lewis has this quote, To have lost the taste for marvels and adventures is no more a matter for congratulation than losing our teeth, our hair, our palate, and finally our hopes. And some of us, uh, as children, were encouraged, perhaps by the adults around us, to not marvel so much, not wonder so much, to kind of take life in stride and to control ourselves. But there are some things that deserve a response of wonder. And one of those things is God and what God wants to do in our lives. And if we've become bored with God and bored with His Word, then we are the ones that have a problem. And I don't want to dwell on the negative of that. I want to draw us to the positive. That if we would just allow ourselves to understand who God is and all that He has for us, we should be in this constant state of amazement and awe and in wonder. And if we're not, then the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. We're just not getting it. And we need to get it. Too many of us are like the Pharisees we looked at last time, who are more concerned about the washing of the hands for ritual purity, and as a result, we're missing who God really is and what He was doing in the Messiah. We are so like we got everything's got to be right, the way it's got to be, and and I have can be like that myself. And be, and when you get like that, you miss what the woman experienced, where she was willing to forget about convention, forget about the way things are supposed to be. I'm gonna. The, 
here's the man with the healing, and my daughter needs deliverance, and I'm going to do whatever I can and forget about the shame and forget about the restrictions and forget about, for just forget about it. I'm just going to go through and do what I have to do to get what I need for my daughter. And one of, so desperation doesn't come from just complaining more. Desperation like that woman had comes when we realize that there is something for us out there that if only we can get it, we can get it and it's there for us and, and, and we're get to the place where we're uh, giving ourselves permission to pursue impossible possibilities. God possesses possible impossibilities. When we forget that, we die. But when we remember that, we become alive. And sometimes when we, re- when we see our current situation, we compare it to what God has for us, it's very painful. But that's a good pain. That's the kind of pain we need to have. It's a good tension. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, there's, you want so much more for our lives. You want so much more for our families. You want so much more of, for our church communities. You want so much more for our cities and our countries. And in the middle of this COVID-19 oppression, we don't need to be oppressed. If only you would fill us with your spirit afresh, there's nothing we can't do in your name. And that's the truth. Let's pray. Father, would you please come and restore a sense of wonder. Oh, God, help us to allow ourselves to see your goodness and your power and your potential and the potential that you want to see us realize in our lives. And as we see that, allow help us to allow ourselves to become desperate for you, that you would break through in our lives like you did for that woman and her daughter and the, the deaf and, and, and men who had the speech impediment. God. We're deaf. We're not speaking as we should. We are oppressed. We are discouraged. But you don't want us to be there. You want us to be free. Lord, I ask that you would enable us to to be set free into the wonder of who you really are and that we would become full of wonder in how we live, that others would be struck by your wonders through us. Even in these days, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, send me your questions and your comments. You can leave it in the, in the, in the comment section of the video, uh, or you can email me, pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. Until next time, this is Pastor Allen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.